0: From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. We're in a series um, uh, called Seven, and we are looking at the message that Jesus has to the seven churches in Revelation. And this is the second last week of our series. Let me bring you up to speed if you haven't been with us or you've missed a little bit. John is on the island of Patmos, a small little island off the Aegean coast, and he's in exile for following the way of Jesus. The scriptures say that because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, he's he's been in exile. And legend says that they tried to martyr him, but that didn't work. They tried to boil this man alive, but it didn't work, and so they threw him on an island and while he's here, he's in the presence of the Spirit on the Lord's Day. On the Lord's Day, he's worshiping, he's in the Spirit, and he has an encounter with Jesus. And this isn't just the Jesus who who walked the, the, the coast of Galilee in his robe with his disciples, and you know, carpenter, kind of Messiah figure that we often picture. This is Jesus enthroned in glory, right? This is Jesus in all his supremacy. And that is the main message throughout Revelation, if we can get anything from this series, take this away, is that Jesus is supreme. If you, could, if you look at the book of Revelation and you saw that, you're looking at it more correctly. Jesus is supreme. So Jesus gives John this revelation. It is one revelation. It's not revelations. It's one revelation to these churches. They contain encouragement, challenges, rebukes, and we've looked at them over the course of this series. Um, they are messages of repent and push through, and endure, and keep the faith at all costs. And today we turn to our final church, or sorry, second uh, final church, the church in Philadelphia. So if you have a Bible, turn to Revelations chapter 3. We're going to be looking from verses 7 to 13 this morning. If you don't have a physical Bible, you can download a free app. It's free. It costs you zip nada, zero. And most of us, most of us, not all of us, but most of us have smart devices, Right? So Revelation chapter 3 I'm going to read it this morning. I think it will be on the screen as well. It says this. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. When he what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, Yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God. I got to repeat that. I will write on them the name of my God and the new Jerusalem and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray one more time. Father, we just commit our minds and our hearts and our spirits to you, to the encouragement you want to give this morning, the challenge, Lord. Lord, the direction. And God, as you've placed before us a door that no one can shut. Lord, help us to see those doors and walk through those doors and trust in you in the name of Jesus, God. We're thankful for your word this morning. Thankful that we can hear it freely in Jesus' name. Everybody said, I don't know, um... I don't know anybody who likes giving bad news. Does anybody in the house like giving bad news? Like, you relish it? Like, I just can't wait to share this. They don't want to be honest. Somebody in here likes giving bad news. We don't like giving bad news generally. That's why we sandwich it with some good stuff, right? The feedback sandwich. We we say something good, which, you know, sometimes we just kind of make up because we got to say the bad, and then we end with some good you know, Or we say things like, I got good news and I got bad news. Which one do you want? And a lot of times, if you're like me, you have bad news to share, so you're trying to think of what's good that I can also share. You know, hopefully, they choose the good. How many of you choose the bad news first? Who chooses bad news first? Who chooses good news first? Who doesn't choose news? <laughs> There's a lot of you that just like, I just don't choose. Well, this message is good news. What one person said of this message, they they said, I think Jesus enjoyed dictating this message, because unlike the other ones, there's no note of complaint, there's no word of correction. Jesus doesn't say, I have this against you. If you remember looking through the other messages, often that is a phrase we hear, but I have this against you. Here's a good, but I have this against you. Jesus doesn't say that. This church hadn't lost its first love. It remained loyal under pressure. It wasn't um, tolerant of ideas contrary to the gospel. It was bold for Christ. There is no call to repentance. The tone of this message is, is generally positive. Jesus says things like, look, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. He says, you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. I'm coming soon. It's encouragement, right? Jesus has come to encourage this church, which is a welcome change from some of the messages that we've been hearing. Now, like most messages, Jesus begins um, by sharing and describing uh, words and images that the people in the city and the people in the church would know well. And so first he says this of himself. He says a couple phrases. He says, what is... He opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. He says, I'll place before you a door that no one can shut. He says, the one who is victorious, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Philadelphia was situated um, on the edge of an active volcanic area, which was a blessing and a curse. I have a hard time picturing the blessing, but apparently, I, don't, I didn't know this, but apparently when you're near volcanic area... The soil is rich and fertile. And so that's the blessing. They would have had rich, fertile soil and hot springs. Who doesn't like hot springs? Anybody ever visit a hot spring before? They're amazing, right? Those are literally God's hot tub gift to the world. Like, I'll just, I'll just make some for you and they'll be natural. Like, but on the other hand, it meant constant danger from earthquakes, which were frequent. Often frequent, frequent enough that when an earthquake happened, the people of this city would flee. They would would leave, and then when everything subsided, they would return. Therefore, this this city and this church were always going out and coming back, They're always leaving and returning. Many, out of fear, left every single night. Just out of fear of a possible earthquake, they left every single night, so fear had become a rhythm for their life. And I was thinking about that. We're living in a state in our cultural moment where fear can easily become a rhythm of people's lives. Fear is not something, however, the scripture calls us to, right? We're not called to live in fear. The Bible says this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Fear is a tactic of the enemy because it is hard to be in control when you're in fear. It is hard to be in love when you're walking in fear. John also says this in 1 John chapter 4. He says, there is no fear in love. No fear in love. So Jesus, knowing this, says these words to this church, knowing about their their geological location, says the one who is victorious, you'll become a pillar in the temple of, of my God, in the new Jerusalem. Never again will you leave it. You've been going out and you've been coming back. You've been living in fear and insecurity. Well, let me tell you something. I am your certainty. I am your unshakable foundation. And I will fix you in my kingdom. No longer will you leave it. No longer will you flee out of fear. You live in a city that is in constant flux. And isn't that true of our time? Isn't that true of our nation? Like Things are constantly changing. Flip-flopping, goalposts are are shifting. This is true of our political climate right now. And this this city and this church lived in a a place that was in constant flux. But Jesus is saying, I remain the same. I remain the same. When, When the waters and the and the foundation seem to be shifting, you stand on me. You stand on solid ground. And even though the waters come, and even though the rain comes, and even though the storm hits, and even though the windows shake, we stand firm. That's who our God is. He's constant. He's constant. He's unchangeable. He is steadfast. He is not disturbed by changes in geology. He is not shaken by economic disaster. He is not overcome by political disorder. When your life is overrun with circumstances that bring you fear and insecurity, Jesus is your hope for certainty and security. There's this thread throughout the scriptures, if, you, if you've read most or chunks of the Bible, you see this. Every time God appears in any form, almost always, what does he say? Do not Fear is not something the Lord wants us to live in or live with. And that's part of the message to this church. Remain faithful because I'm your foundation. Do not fear. Do not fear what tomorrow will bring. Remember those words of Jesus? Even though tomorrow might be an earthquake. Even though tomorrow the volcano might erupt. Do not fear for tomorrow. Do not fear. Do not fear. The second thing that would have had meaning for this church would be the phrase, I will write on them the name of the city of my God. So in A.D. 17, an earthquake leveled Philadelphia and actually Sardis as well. And the Roman emperor at the time extended kindness and generosity to the city by canceling all of its taxes. Sounds kind of nice, right? And provided a huge amount of money to rebuild the city. And so out of gratitude, Philadelphia actually changed its name at one point to Nero Caesarea, which which means the new city of Caesar. And so Jesus, being absolutely brilliant, picks up on on this language and says, I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. You know what this is pointing to? You know what this is alluding to? This is the mark of God. We put way too much focus, l- l- listen to me, follower of Jesus, person who's been in the church for a long time, heard stories or messages from Revelation. We put way too much focus on the mark of the beast. Actually, I would think 99 times out of 100, you've heard messages on the mark of the beast and not the mark of God. Isn't that unfortunate? Now, a few sermons ago, a message ago, I, I referenced what the mark of the beast, what that imagery would have been. Revelations 13, I think it is, what it would have been for the Roman world at the time. But we place so much um, emphasis on that over everything else, and we place very little emphasis on the mark of God. And that's what our spiritual, that's what our spiritual enemy does, is he does things that are counterfeit to God. It's not like he's like, I got a mark, and then God's like, oh, man, I got to thank one. I got it. <laughs> It's the opposite way around. The scriptures tell us that God marks us, that he, that he marks us um, um, for a purpose. It says, I will write on you the name of my God, and the enemy counterfeits that with his own mark. Does anybody remember the, the Disney movie Toy Story? You either watched it growing up or you have a child that watched it growing up. Well, it's a beautiful movie if you're into that sort of thing. I remember watching that, that movie as a child and there's a boy in that, that movie called Andy and Andy would write his name on his toys to identify them as his own. That's how he knows that they belong to him. So if anyone would come to him and say, that's my toy, he'd be like, nuh-uh, my name's on that one, right? My name's on that one. And we put names on things as kids to, to claim them. As our own. And if you follow the story throughout the, actually all the movies, because I think there's like, I don't know, they keep making new ones. There's like four now. But you see Woody and you see Buzz, the main toy characters of the story, constantly looking down at the bottom of their foot, checking their mark. They're constantly looking down, checking their foot to see Andy's name because the mark reassures them who they belong to. It reassures them regardless of what happens in this. You know, kids' story, that they belong to Andy. And in the same way, God marks you. God wants to mark you. He wants to put his seal on you. And as an apprentice of Jesus, we are marked in him by the Holy Spirit. The mark of God is the indwelling Holy Spirit. That is evidenced by a life that has been radically transformed. Listen to what Paul said in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says he has anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. So when your spiritual enemy, the devil, tries to say, that one belongs to me, God says, no. I've got my mark on that one. When the enemy tries to put his claim on you, uh uh-uh, I've put my spirit in that one. That one belongs to me. That one's mine. That one's my child. He's adopted into my family. She's a part of my family. And in the same way that God can say that, we can recall that to mind, that as followers of Jesus, if we have committed our lives to him, the spirit has come to dwell in us. And that can reassure us that we belong to him. I belong to Jesus. I'm a part of his family. Stop worrying about a mark of the beast, church. If you believe in Jesus, you've been marked with God. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Why do we fret? Why do we worry? Why do we fear? Did I get it? Did I have it? Is it this? Is it that? Stop! We're giving the enemy way too much credit. I'm tired of his churches and his Christians giving the enemy way too much credit. Like, like I think he's sitting there having a heyday. Oh my goodness! Come on, here we go again. Sure, guys. Yep. Whatever. Whatever distracts you from not acknowledging how you've already been marked, and if I can distract you from that, I'm winning ground and I'm winning territory in your life. We've been marked by God, so here Jesus is drawing on the history of this of this city to assure the faithful in Philadelphia that they will dwell in the house of God forever because he has put his name on them. Isn't that good? This would have brought them hope. Living in a volcanic area, uncertainty, fear. Um, They were also persecuted by a local uh, a Jewish synagogue, much like Smyrna. We looked at that a little bit because of their claims to Jesus as God and because of their faithfulness to him. So Jesus is here to encourage this church. And let me encourage somebody today. When fear-mongering hits our nation and politicians and media outlets are capitalizing it, when uncertainty hits your job security, you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, how you're going to make ends meet, when a health crisis strikes your family, and the doctors say there's little we can do. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you've kept his word, you've not denied his name, endure. Endure. Because he writes his name on you, guaranteeing what is to come. Do not fear. Look what else he says to the church. He says this: He says, He who holds the keys of David, see, so have placed before you an open door that no one could shut. So what doors and what keys is he referring to? Well, there's a couple possibilities, which is often like John to have a couple things, and both we can we can embrace. We can both embrace both of these possibilities. The first door is the door of salvation. So in Isaiah chapter 20, we read that Eliakim is set up as governor under the good king Hezekiah in the Old Testament. And Eliakim is given authority to open and shut the house and city of David. It says this in Isaiah chapter 20, it says, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. And as you read through Isaiah, the city of David or the house of David is a term that really refers to the kingdom of God or the city of God or the riches of God. So Jesus in Revelation here is like an Eliakim, a steward of the great king. He is the king. And he has the keys that unlocks the doors to the riches of God. He has the keys that open up the doors to the kingdom of God. And by his death and his resurrection, he's opened the door of all that the living God is and has. It's the door of salvation. He's saying, He set before this church this door of salvation. The kingdom of God is open before you. Now, many in this church would have been Jews that were converted to Christianity or became Messianic Jews, right? Adopted faith in Christ, which would have meant that they were shut out from the synagogue. So while the other door closes, God's door opens. Right? When when your past closes doors, God says, I've opened a door before you that no one can shut. I've extended... um, Blessing and wholeness and joy and peace and fulfillment and eternity when all the other doors are closed mine remains open and that's the only door that really matters until he returns and ushers in his eternal reign his door of salvation is open it's open to you it's open to your neighbor it's open to your grandma it's open to your co-worker it's open to your boss it's open to that person that you really don't like and think doesn't deserve it it's open to that person that you think there's no way an H-E double hockey sticks will ever get in there. It's open to them. If God can save Paul, he can save that person. But if you look at life, there's really two doors that are presented before us, right? Two options for us to walk to, two paths to choose. One is easy and it's comfort and it's convenient. It requires very little of you. It's very undemanding. You know, Jody and I, when we went on our honeymoon, we went over a decade ago, which is crazy now, to say that that's a decade. That just sounds old. Mm. Um, We went to Jamaica, and there was this phrase that they would always say, Jamaica, no problem. That's this door. It's no problem. I, I do a really terrible accent. But this door of easy convenience... Offers very little comfort in loss. I don't know how many funerals I've done, and I've heard phrases from people who who do not believe in God and do not believe in attorneys say things like they're in a better place. And I question, I don't say this there, but I question that because I'm like, "You've, you've declared you do not believe anything happened. It offers very little comfort in times of loss. No security in the end. And Jesus says the end is destruction. This is how Jesus describes it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, wide is the gate. It's big. And broad is the road. It's huge. It leads to destruction. It's a highway. It's a a highway. And many enter it. Jesus, the guy that most people... Like everyone likes Jesus. People don't like churches, people don't like Christians, but people like Jesus. Jesus says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And a lot of people are entering in. That. And that's the door of our world. Of patterning your life after the world, of chasing the American or we'll say Canadian dream. And its end is an eternity void of all good created things. But there's another door. And it's not always easy. It's not always convenient. It's costly. It requires sacrifices. And it's difficult at times. But it offers inner peace. It offers comfort and wholeness and loss and security in the end of life. And this is how Jesus describes it. Jesus, the Messiah, says, But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find. John Stott, who was a pastor in the 1900s, he's wrote a lot of amazing books on faith and Christianity. He said this of these doors. He says, here are two gates, and both are open. Open doors, on, one opens onto a broad and crowded thoroughfare. The road slopes gently downward and ends in destruction called hell. The other door opens onto a sparsely populated and narrow path, which winds steeply upward but leads to life in the city of God. See, Jesus is the narrow door, the door of salvation, but it's open wide. It's a narrow one. It's small, but it's open wide, and no one can close it. No one can slam it shut. No one can take it away. What he opens, no one can close, and what he shuts, no one can open. The second possibility after the door of salvation that John could be referring to is the door of opportunity. So the image of a door is often used in the New Testament to speak of the chance to do something you see Paul talk a lot about this he says a door is opened for me to preach or to share uh, the gospel or to impact others so Jesus is saying that he set before this church in Philadelphia a door of opportunity to tell others about the door of salvation I've placed before you a door there's two doors right You're either presented with the door of salvation or the door of opportunity. If you've walked through the door of salvation, now you've got the door of opportunity to tell somebody about the door of salvation. I've placed before you a door of opportunity. You know, I remember as a kid and and in youth, we would often be taught or showed to pray for divine opportunities. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Divine opportunities. I remember for the longest time being like, what does this mean? What am I praying for? Lord, give me divine opportunities. What does that what does that mean? What am I asking for? I don't know. I've done that a lot like as a kid. There's things that you just you pray for. Like I, I stop my kids all the time. We'll be in prayer and they'll say something in prayer. And I'll be like, hey, do you know what that means? And they just get a blank stare. I'm just repeating after you. I'm just repeating after you. Well, it's the door that God opens up that is set apart by God. To share or to witness or to speak the name of Jesus or to further the kingdom of God or to make an impact. It's when everything seems to align and fall into place. You know what I'm talking about? You're just like, man, everything just came together. So a, f- uh, a couple summers ago, I was sitting here in the office at the church, um, just you know working away, and a woman came here, and she um, had tears all down her face. It looked like she had been crying for hours. I'd never met her. Um, she'd never come to this church before. Uh, But her life was just turned upside down because of a relationship. And she was actually on her way to confront this relationship. And as she was driving by the church, something in her said, pull in. Pull in. She's like, something in me. I I know who that was. And so she comes in, and we end up talking for a few hours, and I was able to pray with her and share with her and comfort her. And set her at ease. I shouldn't say me. The spirit of God was able to. It was a door of opportunity. It was a divine moment. It was a divine moment set apart. So God will set before you an open door that no one can shut to further his kingdom. He'll open it up. He doesn't even set the door before you. He opens the door for you. He makes it easy, right? Here's the door. He put before this church, our church, Parkway Church, a door of opportunity He has a job for you as an individual. He has a door of opportunity that no one can close and nothing can stand in its way. Now, that doesn't mean that it won't be difficult. That doesn't mean that it won't be without difficulty. See, Paul, when he walked through the doors that he walked through and had the opportunities that he had, he often faced opposition. In fact, when you read, and I've mentioned this a few times, when you read through the book of Acts, most of the time you're reading about opposition. But there's always these kind of, lines at the end that says and many were added to their number that day and a great amount of souls were saved like, there's just this line afterwards it's the story of opposition. you walk through the door there may be difficulty. there may be challenge there will be obstacles. Jesus knew that the Philadelphia Church had very little power, had very little strength. you see Jesus knows that in order to walk through the door of opportunity and accomplish the task that he set before you you need his power. you need his strength. You cannot do it alone. And in fact, he doesn't want you to do it alone. He doesn't want you to walk through the doors he's placed before you to share the gospel in your own strength and ability. Sometimes we rack our brain. How am I gonna, What am I going to say? What, what, what am I going to share? Do I, do, I, do I invite him here? Do I invite him there? Do I, do I talk about that? And we get so fret that we don't actually walk through the door. Instead of just trusting, as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit to give us words, just walk through the door. Have that step out of your comfort zone kind of faith that says, oh, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. I'm going to step up on the stage and see what happens. I'm just going to see what happens. It won't be without obstacle. Paul faced obstacle. He faced difficulty. Jesus wants us to depend on him. You can't rely on your own ability. But on the other side of that door is fulfillment. It's blessing. It's somebody saved. It's seeds planted. It's the kingdom of God advancing. It's joy knowing that you've partnered with God. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you walk away and you're just like, you feel, kind of feel like a breath of fresh air. Oh, It's really hard going in, really hard going in, but there's just like this relief that comes knowing that you partnered with God. And sometimes the opposite is true too. When you don't walk through that door, you kind of feel regret. It just eats you up. You just You just feel beat up. And the enemy takes a foothold in those times and he tries to beat you up even more. You know, when we came here to Corona, Jody and I and our family, it wasn't without sacrifice. We had to make big sacrifices. It wasn't without challenges. But there was this overall sense that we were doing the thing that God set us out to do. We were walking through the door that He put before us. Pastor Zoe, you guys are doing the same right now. The door has been placed before you, church. Open your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit. How are you wanting me to partner with you? What are you putting before me to walk through? Now, the church in Philadelphia um, faced persecution, and an hour of trial was coming to test the world and to test them. And what is meant by that hour of trial is like a short period of tribulation, of difficulty, of, of suffering. One commentator, he said this, a tide waters of tribulation were rising throughout the Roman Empire. And the emperor at the time, Domitian, he was a horrific ruler, he demanded worship. He made his subjects worship him. We've talked about that through this series. So these people, this church could hunker down and protect themselves. They could have refrained from walking through the door. They could have played it safe. Which often we do, right? We play safe. They could have said no to the opportunity. They could have said no to God and just kept on doing what they're doing. And we can do the same. We can say no. We can say we can play it safe, we can stay where we are, and we can just try to coast or get through. That's the thing about doors is you have to walk through them. God doesn't kick you through the door. Sometimes it gives us a hard nudge, right? You have to walk through the door. He doesn't force his will on you. He wants partners. He wants family. He wants co-heirs, co-workers. You have to walk through it. And the door is wide open and no one can shut it except for him. Except for him. And like the Philadelphians could, is you could not risk the challenge and the difficulty which comes with walking through the door. You can play it safe. But now is not the time to play it safe. And do you know what? Playing it safe is never safe. When a church plays it safe, something dark begins to happen. When you and I as individuals play it safe as the church, something dark begins to happen. The light goes out. Remember that Jesus referred to the churches as lampstands, right? They are a light. Maxwell Cato put it this way. He said, when those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we cast stones. Instead of extending helping hands, we point accusing fingers. Instead of being fishers of the lost, we become critics of the save. Rather than helping the hurting, we hurt the helpers. The result, church scrooges. Isn't that timely? Christmas is around the corner. A humbug spirituality. Beady eyes searching for warts on others while ignoring the warts right on the nose below. Crooked fingers that bypass strengths and point out weaknesses. Split churches, poor testimonies, broken hearts, legalistic wars, and sadly, the poor go unfed, the confused go uncounseled, and the lost go unreached. We can play it safe, but we lose our life. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. You are the light of the world. Like We keep the darkness at bay, church. When you walk through the door of opportunity placed before you, you're keeping darkness in check. Because if we don't walk through those doors, guess who will? Amen. How was an amen from that? Jesus says, See, I've placed before you an open door of opportunity. He's called you out of sin and out of death to go and be a light. If you remember the, the scriptures when they tell of Jesus' resurrection, the women first came, and they come to, the, to the, the tomb, and it's empty, and an angel appears. And what's he say? He says, come and see. Come and see, right? Come out of sin. Come out of darkness. And then he says, go and tell If you've walked through the door of salvation, the door of opportunity is now before you. Invite Matt, why don't you? Where's Matt? He's over there. Come on up. Philadelphia was founded in 140 BC for one reason. The city was founded to be a base to launch a campaign to Hellenize the world, to spread the Greek empire, to spread the Greek worldview, language, and way of life to everywhere. It was a missionary city for everything Greek. And Jesus is so smart. Now he says to this church, I have a door for you of opportunity. From now on, this city will be a base For the kingdom of God. From now on, you'll be launching a new campaign to gospelize the world, to spread the truth of Jesus, the biblical worldview, and his way of life. This church, Philadelphia, is to be a missionary city for everything Jesus. And isn't it the same for us today? Jesus is still saying the same thing to all of his churches You are a lampstand, you are a light. And I'm launching you and I'm sending you to be missionaries. Listen, the mission missionaries aren't just those overseas. And people called to ministry aren't just ones who hold microphones and preach preach from a platform. And if that is your theology, you haven't read this Bible properly or you've been taught it wrong. Because those of us that stand on here, the pastors, we're given to the church what? To equip them for the work of ministry. If anybody's called to ministry, it's the church. To go and do ministry. To gospelize the world. To be a missionary. Paul and I, we talk about this often. If you can't can't do missions here, how do you expect to do it over there? It's way easier over there. Not as much difficulty. But Jesus doesn't want it. He sent people over there. And he wants us to support them and partner with them. But he sent us here. We're here. You're here. You're where you are. For a reason. You don't like your job? Did you ever consider the fact that maybe God put you there? That there's somebody in there that needs salvation? You ever think about that? We're in these stuck situations and we pray often to be delivered from them. And go ahead, pray. God's a good father. Let's pray for that. But maybe, just maybe, he's like, yeah, I got a door here for you. And it's open wide. And no one can shut it. And if you walk through and partner with me, Man, we're gonna spread the gospel. And it's gonna be hard, and it's gonna be difficult, and there's gonna be opposition, and some people won't like you, and some people will look at you funny. But we're gonna gospelize the world. We're gonna save some souls, and it's gonna require sacrifice. And it's gonna be hard, but the end, the end result is eternity with me. And guess what? You won't be the only one coming. There'll be a few more because you walk through the door. Isn't it crazy that God chose? to partner with us. Like, he didn't need us. But his means to spread his kingdom is through us. We're like, God, go, go, go. And he's like, yeah, I'm sending you, you, you. <laughs> go, you go. I'm going to go with you. Let's run together. You know, I just saw a video not so long ago of, of blind sprint racers. Like, they're running like 100-meter, 200-meter dashes, and they're blind. And guess what they have beside them? A partner literally attached by the arm, running with them. I was like blown away by this because this person's running in the race. This person's trying to reach the destination. This person's just making sure to guide them all the way. I'm like, man, that's Jesus. That's what he does with you. You're going to walk through the door. He's running with you. He's going with you. We're saying, go, God. He's like, he's saying, go, I'm going with you. I'm going to run right beside you the whole way. I'm going to make sure you get right to the end because the door I've placed before, you can't do on your own. You need me. So I'm not going to send you in there by yourself. I'm not going to send you to talk to them by yourself. I'm not going to send you to spread the news by yourself. I'm not going to spread you, send you to, to make that big step by yourself because you can't do it by yourself. I I need you. I want you to rely on me because guess who's going to get glory that way? Me. And guess what's going to happen that way? Salvation. You can't save people. That's not your job. That's my job. I'm sending you. I'm sending you to go through, and I'm going with you, and it's going to be good. our vision as a church is to see everyone experience Jesus in a life-changing way a life transforming way that's our vision statement we say it often it's written on the chalkboard side it's on our website you'll see it there is to see everyone experience Jesus in a life-changing way when we close our eyes and we envision what God has set before us it's a door and through the door we see everyone we encounter everyone who comes to this building on a Sunday morning, everyone who tunes in online on a service, everyone who attends um, a group, every person who sends a, to a youth group, everyone who connects at an event, every every person encounter Jesus in a way that leads to transformation. That's the door that God has placed before this organization. What has he placed before you? What door has he placed before you? Better yet, let me phrase it this way, Who has he placed before you? Here's what I want to do. Who who is in front of you? Who's around you that needs Jesus? The message to this church was, was do not fear. I'm your foundation. I got my mark on you. Now let's go. We get stuck here, right? can't even see the door because we get stuck here. Do not fear. Put your hope and strength in me and let's go. Who's he set before you? Who's he put around you? You know, here's what I want to do. I want to do a couple things. I want to extend an invitation to somebody to walk through the door of salvation, to, to receive the mark of God guaranteeing your own eternity. So if, if we could just, no, I'll do it this way. So Maybe you're here today, and when I say here, I mean in-house and online. You know, I met some people, and we were in, in our event last, last night, and they watch us online. I had no idea. It's a crazy cool thing and the frustrating thing about online church in-house and online, maybe you're here and, and you've never committed to Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've never given your life to him. You've never accepted his forgiveness for your sin. You've never asked him to be Lord. You've never committed to his way, or maybe you did and you fell away. Here's what I want you to do is just in the quietness of your heart, bow your head and bow your heart and just ask Jesus to forgive your sin. Ask him to be Lord And commit to his way. Do that right now. You don't need me. Simple prayers, childlike prayers. Jesus, forgive my sin. Jesus, this is weird. Be Lord of my life. Help me to live for you. I want to change. I want transformation. I want to walk through the door. And if that's you today, and you pray that, and you mean that, here's what I need you to do next. I need you to tell somebody. I need you to tell somebody that you came with. I need to tell tell somebody who invited you online to watch. I need you to tell us. Tell me. Reach out to me. Call me. Email me. Get a hold of me. Knock on my door. I want to pray with you. I want to give you some next steps. Like, that's, that's what baptism is about. It's going public with it, right? It's not just saying this is me and Jesus. It's saying, okay, tell somebody. You want to be baptized right now? I'll do it. Oh, walk back there in these clothes. Put up your hand. Walk through the door of salvation. Pray that prayer and tell somebody. For the rest of us, we need to begin to pray again for the door of opportunity. Paul Riviera and I, we've talked about this a little bit. It's been in my head a lot. It's just think and begin to pray for one person. Just one. Don't get overwhelmed by how many people you got around you. Just one person that needs Jesus, that needs salvation. One person who does not know him as Lord, who has not walked through that door. Pray for that person, not just today, but every single day. If you can make a commitment to praying, not just for your needs every day, but, but pray for that person every day and pray for open doors of opportunity to share with that one person. Pray for them over the course of the year until they are saved. Do not give up. Do not grow weary in doing good, right? Pray for them until they are saved. In fact, here's what I'm going to do. Let's bow our heads right now. In the room, and online, bow our head. I just want you to quickly ask Jesus to give you a name. Who, God, who? Who? Who do I need to begin praying for? Who do I need to pray for open doors of opportunity to share with, to extend an arm, to impact, to plant a seed? Who? And then when you have that name, it's probably the first name that came to your head. The first name that came to your head, it's probably from the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit kind of giving you that name. Is I need you to write that name down. Put it in your phone. Make it your screensaver on your phone. Write it on a piece of paper. You got a name? In the house, you got a name? Write it down. If you got to do it right now, take the time, <laughs> write it down. Pull out your phone. Don't forget, because here's, ha- here's what we do in church. We, do, we listen, yeah, I got it, and we walk out there and we go about our day and we forget. Pray for that name every single day until they walk through the door of salvation. God has set before us a door. There will be obstacles, yes. Will it be difficult? Yes. Will we need the help of Jesus? Yes. Will you receive and need his blessing? Yes, his wisdom. Yes, his power. Yes, you'll need all of that. But what he opens, no one can shut. No one can shut that door. What he opens, no one can shut. Well, Father God, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for those that are in the room, Lord, and in, in online, God, that are tuning in and, and maybe they're just beginning to walk through that door of salvation. Lord, I pray that their hearts would be softened and they would receive God, from you forgiveness, they'd make that commitment and begin this journey of following after the way of Christ. Lord, help us to help them. Lord, for all of us, God, I pray that we would recognize you've placed before us opportunities, divine moments, God, that are set apart from you to, to further your kingdom. Help us to see them. Lord, help us to walk through them, God. Help us have the courage, Lord, to walk through them. And that name that you've placed in our minds and our hearts, God, let us let us commit every day to praying for that person until that person meets you as Lord and Savior, God. Above all else, God, we glorify you. We bless you, God. We honor you, God. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, God bless you today. Thank you for being in-house. If you're tuning in online, we're excited you're with us. Thank you so much for listening.